Welcome to the Libro Europe podcast, European Libro Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. And what a great episode we have today. I'm very happy to have back on the podcast Professor Gerard Pogorel, which is a professor emeritus of economics at Institut Polytechnique de Paris, Telecom Paris Graduate School of Engineering. And he was here last time at episode 116 with Antonio Znestoras here from ELF Secretariat. And we also have today Professor Augusto Preta. He's an economist, content and digital media strategist, and founder and CEO of IT Media Consulting, which is based in Rome. We are going into the main topics that are presented by Professor Preta in his article, Digital Content and European Culture, a New Paradigm. This article is part of a bigger publication from ELF called Decoding EU Digital Strategic Autonomy, Sectors, Issues and Partners. This is part of the ELF Study Technopolitics series. And after our conversation, I'll be back to tell you more about this publication. But now, with no further ado, I bring you Professor Pogorel and Professor Preta. I'm here with Professor Preta and Professor Pogorel. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Oh, it's a privilege to have you gentlemen both here. And uh, Professor Pogorel, you already came to the podcast a couple of times. But now I'm going to ask Professor Preta to please uh, tell us a little bit about yourself to our listeners that are going to engage in our conversation today. What was the path taken for you to come to this moment that we're talking here in the podcast? Thank you very much for inviting me. And uh, my name is Augusto Preta. I'm an economist and um, specialized on media economics and digital uh, transformation. What I'm doing at the moment is uh, working with the institution and uh, corporate players around the world and my area of uh, knowledge is much more on the impact of policy and regulation on the market uh, for uh, media and uh, convergence uh, uh, digital content. That's why I, I think I wrote this book and that's why I think maybe we are here today. Now we'll stay with you because One of the arguments you make regarding not only the market, but also the industry, it's the audiovisual content. It's much more than just an industry. Uh, tell us what you mean by that. Yeah, I mean, in this sense, I have a social, uh, a sort of a socioeconomic approach, which means that uh, even if uh, market is fundamental in the mechanism of the demand and supply, there are still other value in the society, which, uh, which is in this case uh, what we call the cultural uh, European identity, which is also part of what we are uh, talking about films and um, series and whatever. I mean, which is not uh, uh, only uh, a matter of um, profits, but it's also uh, that product play a fundamental role 
which is sometimes specific to popular culture, shaping social perception of Europe and the European identity, identity which has changed so much in the past. And I think uh, the television media play a, a great role in trying to find this common uh, identity in Europe. Wonderfully put. Uh, Professor Pogorel, do you want to follow up on this? I totally agree with the, uh, Augusto Creta just said. Culture, and audiovisual culture in particular, is a really a very fundamental element of, of cultural identity. Uh, Europe is a, is a cultural entity. It is a complex cultural entity. Uh, it is a major uh, cultural actor in, in the world. And uh, the, so the, everything was happening in the audiovisual, in the cultural uh, world in, in Europe is important not only for the, the people directly involved in, the, in these uh, activities, but uh, very important for Europe itself. The, the culture is a fundamental element of the building of the European Union. It has been from the start. So the everything which, which uh, happens in this area is important not only for the, the audiovisual uh, world as an industry, but uh, for the for European policy and European existence uh, as such. Understanding the importance of audiovisual content on the setting of culture, of policy, of identity. Uh, let's go to you again, Professor Preta, and we are going to get into your article pretty soon, and that is the, the, the main reason why you're here. But before that, it is said that the audiovisual sector in Europe is at a crossroads. What crossroads is this, and what are the options that we have to, to go to? I mean, the crossroad, uh, at, at least it's a crossroad of a few years uh, uh, from now, because uh, with the digitalization and the internet coming into the industry, uh, the, the same uh, sector has, has dramatically changed in the last few years or even few months with the streaming becoming the most important and uh, innovative uh, solution to uh, the, the problem of how I can get this uh, content uh, around uh, the world. And especially in Europe, uh, also pandemic uh, helped people in some way, if I can say contradictory, to get more used on this kind of, uh, um, of service. And, and that's why, I mean, we had the Netflix and so many others uh, players becoming so popular in the last uh, two years. And now streaming is changing the way that uh, people watch a television and the people see this uh, film and audiovisual product around the world. Professor Pogorel, with you, and we talked the last podcast, you were here exactly about that investment in developing content that is European content, even if companies are outside Europe, more into the United States. So do you see the crossroads then having an easy solution or do you think there, there's still a lot of confusion setting in a system? Maybe I wouldn't say confusion, but uh, certainly complexity. 
and uh, Europe in itself is a, a, a complex entity. And uh, I would say the, the crossroad we are discussing uh, now with, between uh, ourselves, with you, uh, Ricardo, and with Augusto, I think we, is that we have a plurality dimensions. A part of, on, on this crossroad, we have an interesting uh, industry evolution. Uh, we, we have uh, between uh, regular television, broadcasting, and streaming. This is one thing. The other thing is the, there is a renewed interest in uh, the, the relationship between European actors and actors from out, out of Europe and, of course, in particular, uh, from, from the United States. And in this, uh, in this area, we understand that everything is getting more complex every day because uh, a couple of years ago, we were talking about Netflix, Netflix, and now we have we have Netflix, we have Disney Plus, we have H, uh, HBO, we have uh, tomorrow we'll have Paramount, uh, we'll have uh, uh, Warner. So the 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 scene is very complex. European actors play game. Uh, there is cultural creation everywhere. There's an explosion. This is something we should absolutely mention. That there is a big trend in increasing investments in creation of a visual audiovisual content so the and then and i'll be a little bit careful here uh, we have the uh, also the evolution of the european union itself its political evolution the union uh, is uh, reinforcing itself every day so I, it, I wouldn't like to be too simplistic and say there is a relationship between culture and politics because the, this is a very dangerous road I wouldn't like to, to go into. But uh, certainly it would be interesting to observe what, what uh, in this area also, the, the, this is part of the crossroads. What, what happens? Uh, is there some uh, relationship between the evolution of uh, Europe as a, as a society, as a civilization, and uh, the audiovisual uh, creation in, in Europe? That, I think that's a, a good question. Maybe it's something I'd like to, a question I'd like to, to ask uh, Augusto. What, what do you think uh, the, the evolution of uh, Europe as, as a civilization can have on the, on the audiovisual industry itself? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, as uh, you mentioned before, I wrote this article, which is the title uh, Digital Content and European C Culture with the question mark, a new paradigm, which means that, uh, as uh, Gerard said, we have not a solution. We are uh, uh, discussing of what's happening and try to find some solution on that. But uh, as I said at the beginning, uh, film and fiction TV play a fundamental role in the um, social perception of uh, Europe and the European identity. Uh, so, I mean, but this is also something that is dynamic, as uh, Gerard said, because uh, it's not the same cultural identity that we would expect 50 years ago, for example, where uh, values like uh, diversity, mobility, transcultural uh, exchange uh, was not part of what was uh, the scope or the aim of this, what we can call uh, a European identity on the look for. 
on that. Uh, so, I mean, this has changed, but at the same time, we have the globalization, which means uh, that the digital transformation might also bring uh, to standardization and the lack of uh, diversity, which is uh, the risk in some way. So, I mean, answering to Gerard and, and uh, uh, at the same time, going on with the, the debate, if we look at the recent uh, development, uh, the audiovisual industry in uh, in Europe uh, is not uh, a, a, a local industry, I would say, but this role of social integration is played and facilitated mostly for uh, platforms, which means uh, Netflix, which are investing much more than a local player on local production and try to provide a sort of uh, common narrative uh, for Europe uh, into the homes of, of the European citizen. That brings to other question, another uh, point that uh, I'm sure that we will also discuss uh, later on. Well, let me do a follow-up in here for both of you gentlemen, because from a layman's perspective, someone that is watching outside is, and is seeing all this production of European content with European identity and mostly for a European audience, even if it can be seen all over the world, there still are non-European companies and there still have, let's say, non-European incentives, which is to, to generate profits naturally. So in the crossroads that we were saying, is this is this an easy path to trot? So can we develop this kind of content with this kind of quality that is necessary, but at the same time aim for it to be very profitable because people will see it? Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, I mean the the, the point is uh, at the moment I wouldn't be so unhappy of what's happening because uh, if I can say it is simple also to but be better understood because uh, at least we have a lot of uh, program a lot of uh, films that we have never had the occasion the opportunity to see before which means that uh, um, we should uh, encourage this kind of uh, trend but at the same time as uh, we said at the beginning this is can be something that uh, is a long lasting and can be something that can change at any time when the profit wouldn't be so good to provide this kind of uh, products and and so what we need is a policy is uh, something that can uh, last forever in some way avoiding that this is just uh, an economic conjuncture that that allowed this and at the same time even in this good uh, situation uh, we have to take into account that uh, that can be in the medium run a sort of standardization of also of this kind of uh, um, of uh, films of products because uh, who does um, this kind of uh, of production tends to, to to sell to around the world that wants to have some uh, prototype that they can be stereotyped uh, along the time uh, professor pogorel going to you the same question but can also be seen the other way around, which is a social integration that plays a very important role for European identity. And that also 
extending then to audio visual content and having big companies saying, oh, all right, this is interesting, not because they're generating, but because it exists already. I would be very, uh, I would be very careful here for two reasons. Uh, first reason, uh, our group store knows best because uh, I, uh, our group store, I, I would say, in my opinion, is the, has the best knowledge of the European uh, audiovisual industry, and, and nobody matches his, his knowledge. Second point, like I said, is I try to be very careful uh, when discussing the relationship between uh, cultural productions in general, and not just audiovisual, but also literature, uh, or, or art, etc., and societal evolutions and uh, so social evolutions and uh, even worse, political evolutions. So I'm extremely careful. What, what, what I can tell is that we, we should be aware that we, we, are, we live in uh, what I would say is a golden age of uh, audiovisual. Uh, do we, uh, w what we have, uh, what we can see, uh, and here I, I, I leave uh, for the moment on, on, on the side of the industrial and aspect, but we, we, are, uh, we, we have available uh, more quality audiovisual content than we ever had before. Uh, we, we, and this audiovisual content uh, it comes from everywhere. Mm -hmm. And now we, uh, I would say that uh, we, we, not only within U Europe, we, uh, everybody in each European uh, me uh, country, in each EU member state ca can uh, watch high quality movies, uh, series uh, from all of the other European countries, but for also from all over the world. And we, uh, I, I won't mention, you know, we can watch uh, a series from uh, Brazil, from Korea, from uh, Turkey, from uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, like, like and this, this did not exist before. Plus, something I'd, I'd like to insist upon, we are, the, uh, of course, there are very big actors, and uh, Augusto, uh, tell me uh, if I'm right, the, the European market, uh, as a market, is dominated uh, uh, by uh, American actors. And we have Discovery, we, uh, so, but, but, in a, but we have extremely high quality European actors. I would name just a, a few uh, in, in, in Italy, for instance. If you take a look, movies and series which are which are available on the on the website of the public broadcaster rai you have a fantastic uh, supply of high quality audiovisual content if you uh, not not to mention pri private actors but if you look at uh, the french television uh, you also have for free and i uh, i insist on this you have for free extremely high quality content same in sweden same in germany uh, in, in uh, uh, the the franco german uh, broadcaster arte has a fantastic streaming service uh, in six languages 
And the, the so we we have like I said, we live in a golden age of uh, audiovisual content, and all uh, everything I, I, I just mentioned is available for free. What will happen? I don't know exactly because, uh, of course, there is a, there is some kind of competition between free content, and content which is not free. But still, we uh, th th this is a fantastic period for the public, for citizens, for consumers. And it's also a great period for the audiovisual industry itself. Going to you now, Professor because uh, Professor Pogorel did mention policy and mention working on, on formats and on our frames. And you do mention on your uh, article that you already uh, alluded to, Digital Content and European Culture, A New Paradigm, which is regulations. And you propose what is called an horizontal approach. And this is to find tools to adapt digital transformation and to help sectors of the digital market. Go a little bit into that, please, because that is really important. Just a short premise. I mean, uh, we have a policy when something it doesn't work. Uh, otherwise, uh, we shouldn't. Uh, that, that, that's my point. Uh, also, I think it's a very <laughs> liberal point. Uh, apart from that, I mean, uh, what I think is uh, now we have a sort of economic rationale that drives uh, the, the industry, but also the, uh, the, the distribution of this content. And uh, which means that profit maximization uh, is uh, the biggest value instead of social uh, goal. Sometimes they can uh, coincide, as I said, overlap. Sometimes they go on a different roads. Uh, and that's the risk that we cannot afford if we want that this golden age that Gerard was talking about will continue also in the future. Why should need uh, regulation and why we should do mm -hmm. that uh, in a way which is, uh, in my in my opinion, different what what the European uh, Commission uh, and the policy entities did uh, in the past. I mean, uh, I believe that to pursue this goal. Uh, we need uh, that the regulation take, takes into account the, the relevant changes. I mean, uh, w when we talk of uh, audiovisual media services, we are talking of something that move from uh, television without frontier regulation to the two different uh, audiovisual media service directives. And uh, they have uh, an idea that uh, we, are, we should uh, uh, provide uh, um, uh, this kind of incentive to the local European production uh, through uh, obligation uh, to, to broadcasters. Uh, now, as we said before, broadcasters are not the main investor in, in this field. And even the broadcaster will invest uh, supporting mostly the streaming services in, in the future, their streaming services in the future. So uh, in this way, you understand that uh, uh, we have to move from a perspective, which is uh, broadcasting only to platform, to uh, non-linear services and so on. Uh, at the same time, this changes I have to take into account that uh, there is much more interdisciplinary or intersection between sectors, which means that if you want 
to um, regulate one sector, we have to take into account that um, investment can go to another sector and so on, which means at the end that, uh, uh, as I said, the horizontal uh, regulation looks to me relevant at least uh, to limit the risk of uh, what we call a cultural exception that could be also for some kind of uh, industry products like film, movies, uh, or artistic one, but cannot be uh, the only way to regulate this kind of uh, sector. Otherwise, uh, we will lose probably uh, investment in this field. We will not understand what's moving uh, and drive the changes and whatever. So uh, maybe I, I can explain uh, the, the specific example of this, but uh, just to give a, a more uh, general idea, I believe that uh, horizontal regulation should be integrated with the vertical uh, regulation that was uh, the sector regulation that we had uh, until now. I'm going to ask you gentlemen to come back on the podcast because we can go exactly into that and this this interaction between an horizontal and a vertical regulation. And as we're running out of time on this conversation in particular, I still want to ask Professor Pogorel about your opinion on this, this vision that Professor Preto gave us, because you and I already talked about regulation and liberal values and development, developing audiovisual content. So how do you see this, uh, this relation between these kind of regulations? Everything is in flux at this time. Uh, we don't know exactly what the the audiovisual landscape will be will look like uh, three or five years from now. Uh, the what will be the the relative role of broadcasting and and streaming, for instance. Something I would like to to insist a little bit uh, upon, and this is also an area where uh, I'll try to to weigh my words and be, be very careful. The, uh, it's important for us uh, now to understand that for, for, for some reason we have had a, vi a virtuous circle. Europe has imposed on uh, the, the new en entrants, on the, the newcomers like, like, uh, like Net Netflix, for instance, re regulatory obligations to contribute to uh, uh, European audiovisual uh, content. And they, they, I would say that they did it very, uh, I'm sure the negotiation <laughs> has been uh, uh, difficult, but we have excellent negotiators. But uh, the, in a way, I would say that the market evolution has been in line with the re regulatory requirements. And now we have more and more uh, uh, European uh, uh, content on Netflix, and uh, I'm sure uh, this will, uh, it's interesting, but I think it will be the same on other platforms. And uh, I just read, I think this morning, that the, 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 uh, the CEO of Netflix was in Brussels yesterday, and he called for uh, European creators to contribute to, to new works of art, because I think of audiovisual as work of art, of art not just, you know, some kind of a uh, product of service. No, it's really art, it's creation. 
So the I, I think the regulation and uh, the regulation of the market in this particular case go uh, go in the in the same direction, and the, this is a this is a very good thing. And like I said, uh, we will have we, we will have to be careful with uh, and Augusto mentioned this the cultural diversity requirement and the cultural diversity of course is a very good thing but it it, uh, it should be understood i'll say in the in an open way uh, especially at european level uh, because there there are risks that the cultural diversity regulation as it is in some countries might just act as a protective framework for some entities or some people, and the beneficiaries are not the public and not even the creators, but just a small a group of, of people, and the European uh, perspective might be lost. So the, uh, something which, in my opinion, should be revisited is this notion of cultural diversity, once again, I insist it's very important at European level, but it it should not be understood as uh, protective. It should be uh, understood as creative. Very good, gentlemen. This is a fascinating conversation, and uh, we are going to close it by now. But again, I will ask you to please come back to the podcast so that we continue uh, on this very interesting topics. And before uh, before I leave you, gentlemen, uh, the uh, publication is going to be the EU Digital Strategy Autonomy and the article it's Digital Contents and European Culture a New Paradigm. I'm going to put the links on the podcast show notes but before I leave you both gentlemen I'm going to ask you that you can tell our listeners where they can know more about this get informed and even follow you online. Let's start with you Professor Pogorel. Yes the the like you just mentioned the, the, the news, so to say, is that uh, Augusto Preta's uh, article and uh, the many other contributions will be available as a book published by the uh, European Liberal Forum. So the uh, Augusto's uh, contribution will be available for all of you to uh, read and uh, appreciate and uh, and think, think about. Just to conclude, I'm, I'm not uh, uh, giving any kind of uh, uh, housekeeping information, I would say, but just to conclude, uh, thanking you for inviting me. And it also was a pleasure to uh, be part of this uh, team that uh, provided this book. And thanks for the people that uh, involving me in this project. Uh, and just if I can say in the key words, what we should look in the future, I would say that the right word should be balance, which means that uh, we shouldn't go just uh, uh, looking for one specific aspect of a two-sided solution. I mean, because uh, on one side, if we don't have the market, we couldn't have a culture because uh, that that's provide the incentive to to have uh, artists and creation. On the other side, profit maximization cannot be the only way 
to incentivize this kind of people and provide the best beautiful content that you can find around the world. Thank you very much. I think that's a beautiful way for us to close our conversation by now, but I'm going to ask this very fine gentleman to please come back to the podcast. But from now, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. I'm back. Just reminded that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. As promised, let me go a little more into detail about the publication Decoding EU Digital Strategic Autonomy, Sectors, Issues and Partners. This publication is edited by Professor Gerard Pogorel that we just had on the podcast, but also Antonio Nestras and Francesco Capelletti. This publication addresses a range of key concerns and opportunities that are associated with the developing of the EU strategical autonomy, from research to education to deployment of resources. This is a collection of up-to-date analytical papers who are written by leading experts. You can know more about this and other ELF publications by going to the website liberalforum.eu forward slash publications. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. This podcast is produced by the European Liberal Forum, co-founded by the European Parliament and have the support of the social liberal movement Think Tank in Portugal and Liberté Foundation in Poland. The views expressed herein are those of the speakers alone and these views do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. Yeah.